Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. And it was learning salsa in Colombia. It was learn how to cook Peruvian food in Peru. It was to volunteer in Bolivia, help building libraries. It was to work with Kiva in Guatemala, which is like a microfinancing company. And the fifth and final year, it was going to be get a job at the World Cup in Brazil. And these were just random ideas, you know, like imagine if this happened, right? And so that's what I thought. I thought, okay, if I could do these things, I could then be interesting. I could say that I've done this, this, and this, you know, that would be interesting. Cause at this point I didn't do anything, <laughs> you know, small town college, small town place. what I do? I majored in finance and economics. That was my claim to fame. I had a, a textbook <laughs> business. No, that's exciting. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Gareth Leonard. He is a marketing director turned dream chaser who walked away from a successful career in search of a dream, a life filled with substance passion, and adventure. In 2009, he bought a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires with $5,000 to his name, no set plans, no local contacts in Argentina, and knowing very little Spanish. For the last 12 years since then, he has been slow traveling the world full-time and sharing his stories on his YouTube channel, Travel Deeper with Gareth Leonard. His mission is to understand foreign places through the people and cultures that define them and to help others travel as long and as deep as possible, all while having fun and eating a ton of food in the process. Today, Gareth has over half a million people following his travels on social media. Gareth, welcome to the show. Oh, that's a heck of an intro. I appreciate that, Matt. It's good to be here. You deserve a heck of an intro, man. I think that your content is some of the most important content in the travel space. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, and I'm super excited to have you on the show today. But let's just start off before we get into your story, just with where we are recording this from today and the fact that we agreed to make this a wine night. So let's also talk about what we're drinking. I am actually in the 
Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina today on the east coast of the United States. And I have just opened a bottle of Spanish red wine. This is from the northwestern part of Spain. It's made from the Mencia grape. And I've been drinking a bunch of this lately. It's super nice. But uh, where are you today, Gareth? And what are you drinking? We're a regular east meets west today. I'm over on the left side of the country. I'm over in San Diego, California, my adopted home base here. And as always, with me by my side is a 2019 Malbec. I never was really into wine until I traveled to Argentina. So once I found a wine that I enjoyed, I'm terribly loyal and I just stick with it. I People say, oh, what kind of wine do you like? And I usually just give one answer and it makes me sound interesting. But if you stretch any further than that, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I got a Domaine Bosque Malbec 2019 with some organic grapes straight from the Mendoza, Argentina region. And yeah, that's that's what my go to. Man, that brings back so many memories for me as well, because you and I actually both started our long-term world travel journeys in Buenos Aires. You were a number of years before me. I went there in 2013 for about three months, and I've been back since. And man, just it just brings me back to just sitting at a parisha, drinking a Malbec, yeah. and just, I mean, it's just, it's a magical, magical place. So I totally do that as well, right? Like wine or other things that you were such a quintessential part of your experience. When you drink them in other parts of the world, or you have that same experience, it just takes you right back there, man. So I love that. It's such an element, right? It's an atmosphere. It's where you sit there and you have the three-hour dinners and Every time I pick up a glass of this now, yeah, it takes you right back there. It teleports you to those dinners that you're leaving at two in the morning. That was one of the things that I kept telling people about after my first three months in Buenos Aires was how late night the culture is, right? Oh, yeah. Like literally, if you try to go out to a restaurant in Buenos Aires at eight o'clock p.m. for dinner, there will not even be restaurants with the doors open like you can't even get in yeah. it's like the doors open at nine maybe nobody shows up until after 10 prime dinner hours about 11 p.m people have two to three hour dinners then they kind of wander over to the bars at one o'clock or so maybe that into the clubs till three and then you know sun's coming up and everybody's still out in buenos aires man i mean it's unbelievable it's ridiculous. Yeah, if you go to dinner at 10 o'clock, that's the early bird special. You might as well order the tuna melt, <laughs> have Jeopardy on because that's really what it is. I mean, the the cool kids get there at midnight, which, you know, I never was one of those. I always had to have a dinner first and then we'd go out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a core part of the culture there that dinner is a social event. It's not just something where you go to consume food. You have two to three hours of conversation and wines and bottles of wine keep coming and you're just, you know, conversing, just having such an epic time and they do it every night. Every night. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know how they how they live and stay afloat, but I mean, somehow they do it between the wine in the wine in the evenings and then the mate in the mornings. That's just it's a constant evolution. That's amazing, man. Well, I want to start back at the very beginning and hear a little bit about your backstory leading up to you taking off for Argentina and making that life transition. Before that, can you just give us a little context about where you grew up? And as you were growing up, where did that interest and desire for world travel come from? Absolutely. I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York of about 6,000 people. It's called Hilton, New York, a suburb of Rochester. 
which I guess the closest place that people might understand is Buffalo, New York, a member of the Bills Mafia, proudly. Man, I went to high school in Buffalo, so we got a lot in okay. common, my friend. Nice. I actually did middle school and high school in Buffalo, and I was there during the Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Super Bowl run era. I was out at the stadium. It was Rich Stadium at the time, cheering for them 30 degrees below zero <sighs> weather. The sleet was coming down, four consecutive Super Bowls. And then it just all spiraled downhill from there. But finally, they're good again. Finally, they're good again for We're 17 back. years of no playoffs. We're back. We're back. We're, back. So. We're all the way back. Yeah. So I, I grew up in this small town, played basketball. And that was really my, my passion was uh, the limited environment. You know, there wasn't much culture around. We're a apple picking community. So I, I was an apple picker as a kid and moved up to the store manager by the time I was in high school and just played basketball and baseball and really a regular small town childhood. And then went away to school again, just to play basketball in Fredonia, which is about an hour away from Buffalo, real small, again, small, small school, small town. And I just got a little bit of influence from my grandparents because my grandparents were big travelers. Once they retired, they were bicyclists. And my father had done a little bit of traveling. He was a professional rugby player for a little while. So he was in the UK for a bit. and But it really stemmed from, I, I had a real strong love for animals and you know foreign animals. I always had a dream of saving the rainforest with a little coffee can in my, my bedroom with my best friend. We would just throw our quarters in there to try to save that. And it really just became this spark of interest based on the unknown for me. It was never seemed possible in my world that I could step away or outside of that and do anything but what I was destined to do. And that was, you know, move back to the small town and get a good job and get a wife and all that kind of things that, which is amazing. And, you know, most of my friends back home have followed that path, which that to no fault of anyone, that's just the way it's a great life. You know, I just always had this thought of, I wanted something a bit different. And so one of the reasons I picked the small town of Fredonia to go to college is that I knew I could afford to study abroad if I went to this other school versus in Ithaca or, or another school that was a bit more expensive. So I agreed with my mother. I was going to go to this small town school. And then my junior year, the goal was to somehow, somewhere travel abroad. And fast forward to through my junior year, and I was able to, to study in London and it was one of the most eye-opening experiences in my life. And at the same time, I wasted the entire experience. <laughs> I remember, you know, hanging out with just the group of people that were in my program. You know, we'd go to the bars and act like idiots. And it was right around the time that uh, President Bush got reelected. So there was all this new, maybe not new, but a very strong opinion on Americans at that point. So that was an interesting moment. We lived, very funny, we lived right above the Iraqi embassy, actually. So we were right in Knightsbridge, and we lived above the Iraqi embassy. And when Bush got reelected, one of the covers of the newspaper was 300 million stupid Americans. And that was the eye-opening experience, right? Because coming from a small town, my grandparents were never really into the politics. We never, that's not something that was big in our family. So to have this different perspective, this first glimpse of the world and the fact that there's other views and other perspectives out there, 
it was mind bending for me. And so I spent four months there and I, I traveled a few places in Western Europe. But the biggest place for me is for some random reason, I always wanted to travel to Greece. And so I had an opportunity to go there for 10 days and had this incredible Greek island hopping adventure, end up having some drinks and sleeping under the Acropolis one night when I first got there, you know, fell in love with a tour guide that was taking us around this beautiful Greek woman and all those kind of things that come with these young travel abroad, you know, these Euro trip experiences. And I was hooked. And so I came back to school and I said, you know, if I ever have the chance again, I want to travel further and I want to travel Honestly, I didn't know it at the time, but travel deeper, you know, to be immerse myself in a local place because I didn't do that when I was studying abroad. So I ended up coming back to school and connecting with some guys who had started a college textbook business, used college textbooks to compete with the on-campus location. And so I dove into that head first and ended up becoming, long story short, ended up becoming a marketing director for the company. We moved, you know, graduated, moved to Buffalo, ended up setting up stores in New York and Utah and California and built a business. You know, we became the third largest textbook supplier outside of eBay and Amazon or half.com, which is owned by eBay and Amazon. It was called Velour Books and it grew very big and learned a ton. And then one day we actually had moved our offices out to San Diego, where I'm at now, ironically. And we were looking for VCs and investors and new admins coming in and new chief operating officers and chief, you know, C-suite level people to help. And we realized, you know, this isn't something we're passionate about. And myself in particular, took a big step back when we were talking about streamlining the business in order to sell it so that we could all move on to different things. We were exhausted. There was you know, any startup, there's a million things that go wrong. And I got to learn that at a very young age. I mean, everything from fraud on the site to being sued to setting up new locations and dealing with all the highs and lows that come with new states and new colleges, the marketing woes of trying to reach kids for one week out of this out of the semester was such a crazy marketing um, test. And so we learned all this stuff. And then one day we, we sat and I sat with our, our CEO and we said, you know, let's cut our costs. Myself was the marketing director, another guy that did store expansions. A few other people were like, we're going to walk away and see if we can get this thing sold, you know, clean up the books a little bit, get our, ourselves off of the payroll and make us look as lean as possible. And we ended up selling the company. Actually, you know, it didn't go through for two years as they do. But on that date, I decided I wanted to do something that I'm passionate about. And that is live a life with some sort of substance and adventure and culture and something with meaning to me. You know, I was chasing somebody else's dream. Really, it was a guy, a friend, the the CEO who had started it in the dorm rooms and just buying back books. And that was his dream. And I was along for the ride thinking we'd all be millionaires by, you know, 25. And the reality is I wasn't happy even if we got to that point. So I was ready to make a big move. And so the day after we had this discussion, I sat down at a coffee shop here in San Diego and I looked at online and I just thought I I started, you know, at monster.com, right? Started at what's the next job. And I had this 
this title of director of marketing for a multi-million dollar company. And I thought, you know, you can pick and choose the job that you want. I was off to a good start. I was 24 at that time. And I thought, I'm on the right path. And then I opened up lonelyplanet.com. And I saw an article on the front page that said, take your kids to Buenos Aires. And I thought, immediately, I just thought, I got to try something different. You know, I always wanted to go and, and live in a foreign place. I always had this dream of learning a foreign language. And I thought, this is my time. So two days after that, I booked a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires for three months in advance. So that was June and I booked it for October 1st. And I set in motion this course to go out and live this dream somehow, some way. That's what got me on a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I arrived, set my luggage down on the bed in my hostel and looked up and said, what the hell did you just do? (laughs) (laughs) So what then, after you set down your luggage, did you do? Because you had only $5,000 to your name. You had no local contacts in Argentina. You didn't speak fluent enough Spanish even right at the time. So what was your next move? How was your experience in Argentina? You know, How did you structure your life? And what did some of the highlights end up being? I was a mess. <laughs> For the first 24 hours minimum, I was a mess. I sat in my room. I closed the door. I didn't know what I was going to do. I went out to dinner the night I got there. And I tried to, I heard, I, I read something that the mate was really popular. You know, the, the, the local drink that's like a, a hot tea in a very rough, rough sense of the word. And I tried to order it at a restaurant. And trying to order mate at a restaurant is like trying to order cigarette at the bar. Like, it's, it's something that's very, you know, they don't serve it at restaurants. And the person looked at me and just said, you're an idiot. <laughs> and so the first thing I did and the best thing I ever did that's, that sparked all of this, this life for me was I struck up a conversation with the, the girl that was working the reception at the, the hostel. And I said, I need your help. You know, I'm, I'm trying to move into a place with people that speak Spanish. I want to live here for at least a year. I don't know any of the language. So that next day, I, and I only booked the hostel for three days. So I thought if I could have three days to make this happen, that would be great. And because I was tight on money too, right? So I didn't want to spend all my money on the hostel in the short term. I wanted to get into a long-term rental situation as quickly as possible to make my money last. So we spent three days looking through this. Craigslist at the time was efficient. Craigslist wasn't all the spam it is now or, or the scams. And I found a set of cousins from Colombia who were living in Buenos Aires and were renting out one of their rooms. And so I went and met them. They were the sweetest people. And the girl spoke really good English. And the, the guy did not, which was really good because it, it ended up being, you know, this broken English. So I had to really focus. So I moved in with them two days later. And it was this, the growing pains of having these really awkward conversations, you know, where you're pointing at stuff and, and trying to show your personality when, you know, show you're a good guy or show that you're 
funny or whatever it may be you're trying to communicate when you speak. And I signed up for Spanish lessons, which were really expensive. And I immediately started looking for work. So I, and within luckily, because of these people, these, these cousins that were so well connected, they were going to college there and they were so well connected. They were introducing me all over the place. They were the greatest things that could have happened to me. And they introduced me to a, a basketball run from one of their friends. And I got into that, which was my comfort zone, you know, and I started playing basketball for a couple of weeks and I was telling my story to some of the people that were English speaking, or at least that knew how. And one guy said, you know, my brother is the manager of microbrewery downtown. If you want to go and, you know, be a bartender, because I told him I bartended a little bit in college. So I went in there the first day and his brother didn't speak any English. And we had this terrible conversation <laughs> in Spanglish. Do you work at bar? And I thought, yes, I'd like to work at this bar. You start tomorrow. And I say, okay, I'll start tomorrow. And I walked out with a bartending job just because I knew him. I played basketball. It was all these, these levels of connection, right? That led one to another. Fast forward a year in Argentina. And I was working five to six nights a week just to have enough money to pay the rent, to live in Argentina. Because within the first two months, that $5,000 was gone. I was going out every night. I was eating out because I was you know, worried about the, the home dynamic. I didn't want to cook too much. I didn't want to go to the grocery store and shop. My language wasn't very good. All these things. So fast forward a year and I was there embedded into this, this culture. I was close with my roommates. I got myself a local girlfriend and I was bartending five to six nights a week and became really close with all of these bartenders and waiters that were at this place. And somehow, some way it it came to fruition. (laughs) That's amazing. So when you think back on that first year overall, how did that experience impact you and shape the rest of your life trajectory. And as that year came to an end, how did you develop your next steps? It gives me chills every time I talk about it. I've told this story a thousand times. Every time I think about it, it gives me chills. It's something that, as I mentioned, coming from a small town, this opened up a whole world to me. It taught me how to communicate with people behind and beyond, beyond just languages you know, how to give energy and receive energy, how to put yourself out there, how to get out of your comfort zone and go after what you desire. It changed my entire life. That one example of me getting out of my comfort zone and succeeding and building a community changed everything. It gave me the confidence, like a deep confidence, not the confidence I had through high school where you know, I was the man on the basketball court or, you know, I was the man in school or something like that, where it's false, hollow, false confidence. This was a deep humility-based confidence that I thought I can really do anything I put my mind to. And it is a battle because to say that, oh, going through a year, I'm a terrible language learner. By no means, you know, I had friends that were there that say, oh, you'll pick it up in two or three months. You'll learn the language quickly. It was a battle for me. And that was using it every day, using it in the kitchen, at the restaurant, using it with you know, my roommates, using it with my girlfriend who didn't speak any English, using it with the customers that came into the bar. 
I was using it every day and every night I'd go home with headaches, migraines, asking myself, why are you doing this to yourself? But I knew there was a bigger purpose. I knew there was a bigger goal. So the confidence that came from that experience and on top of that, the comfortability within my own skin. Like I became closer with myself, which is an interesting thing if you think about that on the surface. But when you travel a lot, you are alone all the time or so much of the time, even if when you're with other people. So you have to really learn how to be comfortable with yourself and by yourself. And that's one thing for traveling, which is so incredible, is your companionship, your self-companionship, not in a weird way, but your your ability to enjoy your own time and be self-aware. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways I, I had is I realized what my limitations were. I realized what bothered me. I realized, you know, what excites me, all of these things and emotions that come from silence and loneliness. And how did that impact your choices on what to do next and how to design your lifestyle and your trajectory moving forward? And what were your next steps? So my roommates were Colombian and they told me, you got to do this again. You got to do this in Colombia. I said, what are you talking about? They go, you got to do this again. And at this point, at the end of the year, my blog at the time, touristtotowny.com, was really starting to gain traction in, in Argentina. I was getting affiliate-based revenue from different to- local tour groups and things like that, saying, you know, if you, if you recommend this tour, we'll give you 10 bucks or whatever it may be. And I started gaining traction just from being in Buenos Aires. And I had friends that were saying, you know, you should continue to do this. At this point, it was 2009, 2010. Not everyone and their mother had a blog, a travel blog at that point. We, I was maybe, I can count on two hands the people that were around at that point. And so that's really exciting. And so they said, you should move to Colombia next. I said, okay. They said, Medellin is a great place to be. You should go and live in Medellin. So I said, okay. I had one other travel blog friend that was there and he said, you, sh- you should come here. I left. I went after one year, I went home, went to a couple of friends' weddings for the summer and then turned around, packed my bags and went to Colombia and spent six months in Colombia. And the goal was salsa dancing. So after that first trip to back up, after that first trip, I said, I'm going to try to do this for five years. I don't want to say I've proven the model just based on how difficult it was, but I knew that there, it was a, there was a chance. So I said, I'm going to do five you know, tasks in five different regions. And I wanted to stay in Latin America because the language, I really wanted to get better at the language. And it was learning salsa in Colombia. It was learn how to cook Peruvian food in Peru. It was to volunteer in Bolivia, help building libraries. It was to work with Kiva in Guatemala, which is like a microfinancing company. And the fifth and final year, it was going to be get a job at the World Cup in Brazil. And these were just random ideas, you know, like imagine if this happened, right? I always think about this when people say, you see this on bios and things, right? You see people going, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I speak three languages. I play the flute and I do this. And I always think about that growing up. This is one of the big reasons why I want to travel. I don't have any of those things. I'm a subpar D3 basketball player who 
can tell a joke and, you know, is, is, was the class clown. That's all, that's all I was. <laughs> and so for me, it was, I want to add some of these, what do you call those? Not superlatives, but you want to add some skills, right? To your life, your resume, or just your nameplate, I guess. And so that's what I thought. I thought, okay, if I could do these things, I could then be interesting. I could say that I've done this, this, and this, you know, that would be interesting. Cause at this point I didn't do anything, <laughs> you know, small town college, small town place. What I do, I majored in finance and economics. That was my claim to fame. I had a, a textbook <laughs> business. None of that's exciting. That's amazing. So how did that next part go for you? Tell me about Colombia. Colombia is another country that I absolutely love. I've spent time in Medellin. I've spent time in Bogota and I've spent a little bit of time in Cartagena, but absolutely adore Colombia. And I would love to hear about your experience there. Incredible. Medellin is one of those beautiful places. And I always worry because it was when I was there in 2010, it was right kind of at the beginning. Not a lot of people knew about it yet. It was still dangerous in many people's eyes. It was, you know, some Australian and Israeli backpacker guys that were just blowing their way across the country, you know, and in the medical standpoint. So for me, I I got there. I got a nice little place in Envigado with this family. And I had a really good, comfortable little setup, a daily routine. I, I, I slipped into this daily routine there where I would take Spanish lessons in the morning and salsa lessons in the afternoon. I would write on the blog and then I'd go out five nights a week. It was so much fun. And just the, the nightlife and stuff was absolutely electric. I was just out and about and had such an amazing time. I was able to go out into the countryside and just the people to me, really drew me in. They were the most welcoming and friendly people outside of the Philippines. They're the the most welcoming and accommodating people at that point, right? I worry about it now because there's been a huge influx of the attention because of how beautiful and how incredible the, the people are, the weather is, all that kind of stuff. And now with Venezuela, with all their their stuff going on, dynamics have changed, but it was one of those moments in my life that I just look back very fondly of. And how was the salsa dancing scene? How did you emerge from Colombia in terms of your salsa skills? <laughs> I was getting to a point where no one laughed at me. You know, I always had a little rhythm. I had more rhythm than I can sing. That's for sure. But yeah, I was luckily had some local guides on the dance floor, which was incredible. And then, yeah, about three and a half, four months in, I tore my ankle playing basketball. So I was out of commission. So I was just the kid. I looked like the guy, the gringo in the corner that didn't want to dance and was scared to dance because I my ankle was all busted up. But yeah, for the first yeah, three and a half months, it was it was incredible. I was dancing a ton and and taking lessons, like I said, almost every day and and, and just really loving it. It's someplace, it's one of those ones that are it's unfinished business. I would love to go back and, and do more. That's awesome, man. Well, I also have to hear about this cooking experience in Peru. And for folks that don't know, Lima, Peru is widely considered to be the culinary mecca of South America. I have spent about a month in Lima and just ate my way through the city. I mean, it is just truly spectacular in terms of the culinary scene. So I would love to hear how your experience was learning to cook there. 
Peruvian food, as far as South America goes, it's the one place that's focused on the culinary arts. I mean, you have famous dishes, you know, the baked empanadas in Argentina, the chojasco in Brazil, all you know, these dishes, right? But as far as the level of culinary excellence, it starts and ends in Peru. And so I actually went on couch surfing. And I met some people via couch surfing and just told them what I wanted to do. I spent a month there in Lima and, you know, traveling a bit up and down the coast, but really focused in Lima. And I said, you know, just teach me the ways of certain dishes that you make. So we'd go to the local markets, we'd pick up fish, we'd pick up all these different fresh ingredients, and we'd go back to their place and make uh, ceviche. We would make different soups. We make different dishes. And it was just a regular occurrence. A couple of days a week, whenever we had a chance, I would just go over to a couple of friends' house and we would just make different dishes. So it was much more relaxed, right? It was less professional. I didn't go and take professional cooking classes. I really just wanted the homegrown aspect of this Peruvian culture. And it was incredible to meet a group of people like that. So yeah, through couch surfing was the connection there. That's awesome, man. And then I know you said the next place you went was to Bolivia, which I have been telling people, in my opinion, is the most underrated country in all of South America. I mean, I went to Bolivia. I kind of had a really vague kind of sense of maybe what to expect. And every expectation was exceeded. Like my mind was completely blown. It's one of the most extraordinarily beautiful in terms of natural landscape that I have ever seen anywhere in the world. Bolivia just won my heart. It was amazing. And I know you went there specifically to volunteer. Can you talk a little bit about your Bolivia experience and what you were doing there? Yeah, Bolivia is, it is a hidden gem. Especially, I lived in Sucre, Bolivia, which is all whitewashed buildings. It looks like a little Mediterranean with the the Latin Latin vibe, Latin sprinkle over the top. Um, and it was random. Yeah, I, I have always been in the, the textbook business and I met, people through the different book connections and join an organization called BiblioWorks, which helped build and facilitate libraries around Bolivia, and especially in this Sucre area. And I immediately got in with this organization and met a great group of guys, local guys that were really impacting the community. And I got, you know, speaking of Bolivia, it's just, I had a beautiful one bedroom apartment for $200 a month incredible dinners. You could go out to eat and spend, you know, $50 on a dinner was, you know, top of the line. Night out was 20 bucks. And then all of the incredible places around there, right? Salado de Uni, you know, La Paz, incredible locations. But so for, for me, the idea was to help facilitate these libraries. So they had just built two libraries about two and a half hours away from the city. And so I'd go out there and stay with one of the families that, was helping to facilitate this library and we'd go and I would teach lessons that my Spanish was getting you know better and better. And I would go and teach lessons. I would help source different material. We would set up different curriculums and events. And the biggest thing that I did there was we set up a book festival in the city of Sucre to promote literacy to the city. And through touristatowny.com, through the blog, the readers of that blog, friends and family and all that, we raised $2,500 
for the literacy organization and it funded the entire festival for the entire city. Wow. The entire city. There was bands, streamers, parades. Everybody was paid thanks to the people that followed along the site. It was perhaps still remains to be the most proud I've ever been in anything that I've done in this travel space. And it was incredible. And so I had a great group of people and was really able to immerse myself. That's so amazing. Wow. And then, okay, after Bolivia, then you went to Guatemala, which I have actually not yet been to Guatemala. I've been to Nicaragua. I've probably spent about a month there, but I haven't yet been to Guatemala. I've heard amazing things though, but I would love to hear your experience and what you're up to there. Yeah. So uh, Guatemala, I got lucky. Guatemala was, I applied for this Kiva fellowship. So after the the job in Bolivia, volunteering with the, the libraries, I was addicted to it. I was addicted to the service-based traveling and I was wanting more. So I reached out to Kiva, applied for this fellowship program, which was, I guess they said difficult to get into. I don't know even know if they still do it, but Basically, people get picked and you go and you travel to different places around the world. And I just put in randomly different organizations that I would love to be a part of in different countries that I was interested in. And I got chosen for Guatemala. And so Kiva, was it's basically a a platform to allow people to get loans for their businesses. So micro loans, anything from $50 to $500, and it's all crowdsourced. So you can go on and donate $25. And I actually have a Travel Deeper pool, a community where we donate to different organizations as a kind of a group, a, a hedge fund for good, if you will. And what happens is, is those people then receive the money, they buy their crops, they buy you know their raw goods, materials, whatever they want. And at the end of that, when their sales cycle is over, they repay the loan. So it isn't a charity. It's a zero interest loan to empower people to go out and start businesses and do things like that without the risk of you know this just being a handout where maybe somebody will get lazy or they won't do anything about it or they won't learn to they won't learn to fish right they're just given a fish um so i was really interested in this campaign and so i went and lived in a place called Solola which is right on the Lake Atitlan region and it was just the beautiful lake. You've maybe seen it in photos. It's just volcanoes all around this lake and this tiny little town perched up in this lake. So it was, again, one of those moments I had a best friend there and we would just go around on this motorbike and visit different businesses up in the countryside. We'd go to this teenage girl mushroom farmer. We'd go to this old man who made carpets. We'd go to, you know, crops and, and different places that sold variety of different fruits and veggies. So all different things. And and I learned a lot that way. So that was, yeah, four and a half months, five months in, in Guatemala, which was, again, one of those moments. That's amazing. Okay. I am super excited to ask you about your Brazil experience because Brazil is one of my all-time, all-time, all-time favorite country's favorite places on the planet of Earth. It is just a completely magical place for me. And actually, let me start this off, though, by asking you if we were there at the same time. I went to Carnival in Rio in February of 2015. I was gone by then. You were there at 14, 2014. Yep. Your Carnival was a year before. 
Yeah. So I got there in January of 2014. Okay. Yes, because the the World Cup was July, June, July 2014. Okay. So I, then I left in November 2014. Okay, got it. And then I was there for two months in the beginning of 2015, and I wanted to see it for Carnival, and I also wanted to see it in not Carnival season because that's obviously very different, you know? Yeah. So I went to Brazil for 60 days, and I spent the whole time in Rio. And I tell people this, right? Like, at that first trip, I didn't leave Rio for a single day to see any other part of Brazil because I was like, I don't want to miss a single day of this. Like oh, yeah. Rio is so epic. I don't want to, there's how could any other place in Brazil possibly be this amazing? So I stayed in Rio the whole time and I actually wanted to experience different parts of Rio residentially. So I spent one month on the beach in Leblon, got a place like right down by the beach. And I spent one month up in Santa Teresa with nice. a view overlooking uh, Pau da Sucar, the Sugarloaf Mountain, and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, got that more residential kind of bohemian experience. And it was just like every day was magical. And then it was like later in my travels, you know, I'm traveling around the world and I'm meeting people and I'm asking them, oh, what's your favorite, you know, city in the world? And I'm hearing people say Sao Paulo. I was like, Sao Paulo is your favorite city in the world? They're like, yeah. I was like, you've been to Rio and Tokyo and Istanbul? They're like, yeah. I was like, oh man, I got to go to Sao Paulo. So then I go back and I go to Sao Paulo. And then I went back again and I went to some of the beach towns like Jericho, Quara and Pipa and Hesife yeah, yeah. and those kind. So I just like keep going back to Brazil. And each time I go back, the parts of Brazil I go to are very different from the other parts, but they're just independently absolutely magical. And I, it's just amazing. I mean, it's, the country is so, <laughs> I mean, it's so high up on my list and you have spent a ton of time there. You have an amazing amount of incredible video content on Brazil. I don't know if that's maybe even more in Brazil than any other country, but certainly one of your most, uh, I think mm-hmm. filmed and documented country countries. And so I would love to just hear you talk a little bit and share a little bit about what Brazil meant to you and what your experience there was like, what your reflections were on that. Yeah. Brazil was that first trip that I really went all in with the video. A part of me wishes I would have filmed more throughout since I started, but another part of me is glad that I didn't just because I needed time to learn and mature when I was traveling. If I would have filmed every night in Colombia, that I don't know what would be me right now. So <laughs> no drugs ever for me. I, that's one big tip I give to people. If you want to not get into trouble at night, you stay away from the drugs. But Brazil as a whole was one of those life-changing times. Because again, granted, the goal was to stay for a year. And it was a new language I was starting. So I thought I would go there, take all this Spanish knowledge from the past five years and dive right into Brazil and be ready to go. Now, grammatically, that's correct. I could read a lot of menus. I could read things. I could see signs. And I understood, right? Those things. But verbally, colloquially, it couldn't be further. (laughs) Totally true, man. I learned that as soon as I got there as well. It's ridiculous. And I, so I thought going, so I was smacked right in the face immediately with just, you're back to zero. So that started and it, and it led off with, again, the same scenario as the number one trip. So Argentina and Brazil were very similar in the fact that they were both a year and they were both starting from scratch. They had a little momentum, you know, with the travel blog, but still nothing near 
what it would be like today if you you know you did and all the social media and stuff. This is two, still 2014. So I arrived, I got to a little hostel for a few days and ended up getting a roommate who was incredible, this Brazilian guy and a Brazilian guy and a Spanish guy actually that we lived together with. And in Rio and one of this Laranjeres, so it's like a a little bit away from the beaches, more in a residential part of the town, kind of halfway between the beach and downtown. Like Gloria, if you know Botafogo, Botafogo Flamenco and Gloria. So right around Gloria. And I dove in there and just started, you know, writing as much as possible, posting photos and put this these feelers out into the universe of trying to somehow get a job at the World Cup. So I started taking Portuguese lessons because I knew that was going to be an in. If I wanted to be a local guide or something for the World Cup, I knew I needed my Portuguese. So I took intensive Portuguese lessons and I was just really struggling. So at the beginning, I was a few months in, moving in, moving in, and I ended up posting these photos on Instagram and the Visit Brazil account sent me a message and said, can we use one of these photos? And I said, you can, or we could do something bigger together. (laughs) They said, what did you have in mind? I said, well, the World Cup's coming. What if you take me around to the different cities where the World Cup is and I document it and, you know, show things to do. And they said, yeah, that might be okay. But what we really want to do is launch our own blog on our own Visit Brazil website. Imperatur is the name of the Brazil tourism. And I said, why don't I design that blog for you and you pay me to go to these 13 cities around Brazil? So I flew to Brasilia to have a meeting with them where they were. And I pitched that to them. And I said, let's take me everywhere and I'll write for you and I'll I'll create... I think it was like five blog posts per city. So they said, okay. So they paid me $13,000 to go to 13 cities, which at that point was the biggest brand advertising deal I had times probably by (laughs) (laughs) $12,500. You know, I think the biggest one before that was this place called like Hotel Calculator, which was terrible. And I said, okay, let's do it. You know, tried to play it cool. And so I started traveling these different places. And I said, why don't I film while I do this as well to kind of document these adventures? And ended up having enough content to film an episode in each of these locations. And that was all with a point-and-shoot camera. Uh, I've seen if I had it. A Canon S120, a small point-and-shoot camera that I filmed everything with. And I went to these different places. And that was incredible. But still, I was traveling around and I still thought, I'm not going to reach my goal. This doesn't get me into the World Cup. I've been pitching all these different places to be a tour guide, to be a host, to do all these things. And nothing, crickets. People would say, no, we're all set. So finally, (laughs) one of the lowest points, I was sitting, I was in between one of the legs of the trip and I was sitting in my apartment in Rio and I thought, I'm not going to have anything to show for this World Cup trip. I'm not going to even go to a game. So I got online, it was like StubHub or the local version of it. And I went on and bid and bought 
two tickets to two different games for $1,200 for one ticket and $900 for another ticket. This is all of my savings because the Visit Brazil thing doesn't come through for like two or three more months. All of my savings, I bought two tickets. And I thought, at least I'll say I went to a game. (laughs) At the very least, I went to a game. So I ended up getting in with this this Australian tour company that was bringing 2,000 Australian fans over to support the national team. And they were going to go to different cities. And I said, why don't I be a guide? I speak English. I know Brazil a little bit. I would be a great guide. They said, we're all set on that. We need registered guides or whatever. And I said, well, if you need video or anything like that, I can shoot daily videos or things like that for you. And the guy says he was so short. He was an asshole on on tech, on uh, email. And he said, all right, yeah, let's do that. And that was it. This is all the email I got. And at this point, when I got the response, I was in Salvador. And I thought, I was responding to him and I, I thought, okay, is this guy serious? Does he want me there? And so I was responding like, I'm in Salvador. I need to know if you want me to come back. Well, let's agree on a rate. And we were going back and forth of a rate. And he finally said, just get here, you cunt. You know, this is an Australian guy. So I guess it's not as bad. You say it to an American. That's like the worst thing you can possibly say to somebody. But he spelled it C-O-N-T. So it wasn't until I actually met him that I understood that's what he was saying. So I was trying to figure out, continue, just get here and we'll continue, I was thinking, he said. If I would have known that, I would have never flown. So I booked a ticket the day before World Cup was going to start from Salvador in the north, flew back to Rio, changed my clothes, and went right to the beach to meet them and their 2,000 people to start filming daily videos. I met him at the beach and I said, are we all set? I'm Gareth. We talk on email. He goes, yeah, 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 we're all set. The people are outside. Start filming them. We'll do daily videos. And I was like, okay, so we're in. He goes, yeah, I'll get you tickets. Where you you need tickets to? Curitiba. You need tickets to Porto Alegre. And you need tickets here, right? I'll get you a hotel and tickets to the matches. And like that, thinking I had nothing set up 24 hours in advance, the guy says, just get here. I book a ticket. I roll the dice. And I ended up going to three matches with the Australian team filming daily videos. So I would shoot them all day and I would go home all night and edit and have an edit from the previous day up on their Facebook page the next morning. And I did this every day for 17 days. That's amazing. It was absurd. And, you know, I learned a ton. It was crazy. And so I ended up going back about the other two tickets. I ended up going to one of the matches on the one ticket, the the quarter, the no, the preliminary one, which was Uruguay against Colombia, one of the best matches of the entire World Cup. And then I was able to sell my semi-final match, which was France and Germany, which I didn't care about. I mean, it was a great match, but really boring. You know, Germany plays keep away and France wasn't all that. I like the Latin American teams who are just full send it and, and roll the dice. So I ended up selling that and making at least my money back from that. 
And that was my Brazil experience. That's amazing. And didn't you get to participate in one of the carnival parade oh, yeah. in costume events? Like I saw that on video. I was like, what? Because I feel like I, I, mean, I was watching that, but you were actually in it. Like, how did that come about? So unreal. Luckily, my roommate was a big Samba school fan. So the coolest thing about Rio isn't the carnival. I mean, carnival is awesome. The, the blocos and everything, the street parties. But one of the most fun things you can do in Rio is go to the Samba schools. And the Samba schools throw parties, they call them fundraisers, but really, I don't know if anybody makes any money. <laughs> they throw parties and they practice their dances, their percussions, they do all this stuff. And so we'd go to these different Samba schools and hang out there, luckily because of my roommate who knew him pretty well. So we'd go to Salguero, we'd go to all these different places, Villa Isabel, like these crazy schools. And through connections, I said, let me sign up. Can Is there any way I can march and be a part of the dancing? And so through many, many different strings and, and a lot, again, like everything, this is the theme of it all, the push of making things happen. It's another thing you learn you know, with this type of travel, the traveling with, you know, the substance with this purpose-driven traveling is this push to make things happen. And so through these connections, I ended up being able to essentially dance in the lineup, going through the parade and the, and the level one, the ultimate level school and getting graded on it. So I had to I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Keep my camera down here because if they thought I was filming or not voicing the, the lyrics, it's minus points. So you were actually in the main event in the Samba Drome. Yeah. That was good. I mean, like people have to understand this. They've never been to Brazil Carnival because I've been to this thing as a spectator. Blew my mind. We are talking about a stadium that seats 90,000 90, people. So, yep. yeah. So exactly. it's like the size of, you know, an American football stadium <laughs> number packed. of number of people that are in there. Okay. So, so this is packed. Every seat is sold out and every seat is full for the entire time. And it goes, <laughs> this is going back to those, those, those Argentina hours, man, that got me on schedule yeah. for this. It goes from like nine or 10 at night until like seven in the morning. <laughs> and these Samba schools, each one of them is it's like 5,000 people, you know, for each one that are in the most elaborate costumes I've ever seen. And you got to wear one. You have a video of it, which just blew my 
mind. It's crazy. And they go through with the floats and these dance routines and these costumes for like 90 minutes each. And then the next one goes for 90 minutes. And they're <laughs> yeah. doing this performance in front of 90,000 people. And it's just the most incredible event. I can remember we were there and we had watched like six of them go through. And there was like, you know, one more was going to go. And it was like 5.30 in the morning, right? And like the final one was going to go from like 5.30 till 7 in the morning. Yeah. And we're like, okay, like we've seen six of these. You know, we're pretty exhausted. The sun's kind of coming up. Like, I think maybe we'll leave now. And I was with my relationship partner at the time. So she and I get up and we start to walk out to leave before the last one went. Literally, there's not another human being that has left. Every seat is full and everyone's looking at us like, are you kidding me? Where on earth are you going? Why would you leave at 530 in the morning? There's still one more to go. Yeah, yeah. It's literally like that. And you got to participate in it. That's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And yeah, I went. So it was very lucky. I went and watched the day before, you know, because there's two days of the, the main schools and then they have a finalist the next week. But yeah, I was able to go and watch the first night and then go and perform the second night. So it was it was a dream come true. It was incredible. And you, you're marching and you have all these people going crazy and you got to stay with the voices. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's just unbelievable, man. So, all right, Gareth, I want to now talk a little bit about your blog and the whole concept of what you're doing. You mentioned the name of it, Tourist to Townie. And I want you to be able to talk about those concepts, what you mean by them, what the distinction is. And I want to just maybe read a quote here um, that you wrote and just have you expand upon this. You said, when I'm living in a set location, I don't typically hang out with other travelers. I don't go to expat bars and I don't frequent touristy spots. I base the success of each adventure on the friends I've made and the authentic moments I've shared with locals. Can you talk about that concept more? This all goes back to that study abroad experience, you know, and, and feeling like I, I missed out on something. I missed out on a different perspective. I missed out on these connections and the ability to see things through different eyes and through a different world. You know, I had that that one experience where I, I realized that there's a bigger world than the small town that I came from. And so if, I thought if I ever had that chance again, I wouldn't really make the most of it. And for me, the act of traveling is about making these connections. It's about gaining perspective. And I use that word all the time because that's really what it comes down to. You travel to get a deeper understanding of foreign places, you know, the people, the cultures that define foreign places that you know nothing about. So to me, it was a disservice if I would travel all the way to Argentina and then I would go hang out in, with the expat community. I might as well do that at home. I might as well move to Chicago or, you know, LA or something. So if I'm going to go and spend all this time, energy, resources, my own mental stability, <laughs> learning languages and things like that, I'm going to go all in and, and really be a part of that because that's when you truly learn. You can sit there and have beers. Me and you could sit there and have beers in Bangkok and have a great time, but we could do that here as well. You know, Why not have this conversation with somebody else that you wouldn't normally surround yourself with to broaden your horizons, to make yourself smarter, to give yourself skills and stories even. If I went and said I was with this Tibetan monk in the hills and we were sharing 
hashish and, and stories of our own childhood, that's so much more to me than that. And so Tours to Townie comes from that idea of going from not knowing anyone or anything, showing up in a place, showing up scared to death in a hostel and thinking, what the hell are you doing with your life, to becoming part of a local community. And, and since I've, I've shifted away from Tours to Townie a lot, just because it takes me explaining it to, un- to fully understand. Travel deeper means you know, it's, it's the same kind of meaning much more efficiently for foreigners, especially. And a townie to those from the States is a townie is like someone from a small town who has their place at the bar, who knows everybody you walk in, everybody says, Hey, and they understand the local dynamics. And I think that's one big thing is local dynamics. You know, you understand where not to go, where to go, what drink to order, what food to get, what restaurants to go to. And that's what I was trying to recreate in these foreign places. Very small way. I always say I can be there for a year, but it really takes a lifetime growing up in a place to truly understand it. But I just wanted to gain a deeper understanding. And this goes back to the fact, one more thing. When I first started the travel blog, everybody was doing these top five lists, these how to visit Buenos Aires in a weekend. And now... On the business side of it, I understand why everybody was. They get more clicks than anything else. I understand that. You know, you can see that on my YouTube channel as well. There's the more popular videos are simpler for people. But the whole concept was is to have these deeper, deeper interactions. It's like someone going to Rio de Janeiro for a weekend and then telling you what Brazil's like. It's like someone going to Paris for a weekend and telling you what France is like. It's unfair. There's so much more to a state, to a country, to a town than one neighborhood, than one area. One of the other things that you wrote along these lines, you said, I wanted to travel deeper outside the structure of a program or a tour group and really get to know foreign communities on a more authentic and intimate level. I make an effort to understand a place and culture through the people who define it. The moments I cherish most while traveling and living abroad are those when taking photos seems inappropriate and an explanation of the scene always falls short of the feeling. They are the times when I feel comfortable being part of something completely foreign. I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit and talk about how you intentionally create those experiences for yourself. Yeah, the, the idea is, and the, the reason I say is, and it's harder now. This is the, the ultimate juxtaposition at this moment is the more popular on YouTube my videos get, or you know, the more of an audience that I have, the more I desire to document everything, right? But in my experience, you know, Instagram photos, things like that, you want to capture every moment. But in my experience of travel, the best moments have been when the camera was off and the phone's away and I'm just in a moment having a conversation or being a part of something. And to me, that's, I wish I could just have a fly on the wall and and we're getting towards that photo technology and video technology soon. But I wish I could be at that point where it's an un interrupted moment while traveling. And I I always say, you know, I stop myself when I say, I wish I would have filmed from the beginning. I wish I would have filmed more. You know, I'd be so much more successful if I would have filmed from the beginning and had more content put out. But the truth is, 
I wouldn't have had these experiences. I wouldn't have been able to prove this model of throwing yourself into the deep end and getting out of your comfort zone and living with people and truly giving a shit about the places you go to, because that's what this comes down to. As you can see, bloggers or or YouTubers, till they're blue in the face, making videos about places. And it's very clear they don't give a shit about the place, about the people, about what they're doing. Their goal is to get the content and then move on. And I am always aware and I've, you know, slipped up on this many times. And, you know, as you're trying to get a shot, things happen. And the best thing I can do is just try to show respect and appreciation to the minute that I'm in. And how this comes to, to be is, is really as simple as it sounds is putting yourself out there with people. If someone invites you in for a drink, you accept. If someone says, hey, I, I, we could drive three hours and I have my, you can come visit my, my grandparents' farm in Colombia, which happened. I met some girl at a, a football game, a soccer game in Medellin. And she was like, I'm going to my, I was explaining what I do. She's like, I'm going to my grandparents' finca about an hour away in Geronimo. Do you want to come? And I would just go for a weekend. So obviously you say this with disclaimer of safety, but really putting yourself out there is how I haven't been open to new experiences. Well, one of the other things that you do that I think is really significant, and I want to sort of draw out here because I think this will really provide people a lot of value. I mean, I think one of the stumbling blocks or one of the challenges that people perceive, right, when they travel to places is that they're traveling in a context that I think sometimes defaults towards social interaction with other travelers versus instead of social interaction with locals, right? Meaning perhaps they join, let's say, a work travel program, right? Or perhaps they are socializing through the people they meet at their accommodations, you know, whether it's a hostel or whatever, or maybe they're socializing with people that they meet at the co-working space, you know, or whatever. And they're in these spaces that they're socializing in that are surrounded by, let's say, other travelers and and so forth. And one of the things that I think is the most significant that you've done, and you have an entire blog about this, and it was one of my favorite pieces that you wrote, was how to be intentional about meeting local friends and immersing yourself and becoming part of those social scenes. And you've actually talked about most of the techniques already in this interview. And I want to just pull a few of them out and summarize them and allow you to sort of expand on them if you want, Uh, because the blog post talked about, and you've already mentioned a number of them, but for example, number one, you intentionally seek out local housemates. So when you go somewhere, you intentionally become a housemate with somebody that is a local and that lives there and that knows the place. And you mentioned about how that can then integrate you immediately into a social network. You've also gotten local jobs where you're working with local people. You've also done volunteering where you're committing to doing an ongoing volunteer thing. You've also done you know, dancing and things like that, where you can, once you get to a certain level at the dancing skills, you can go and just meet locals through dancing. You also play pickup basketball and you're intentionally going and seeking out pickup basketball games with locals and doing that regularly on a recurring basis and meeting people through there. And you're also dating locals and having local girlfriends in the place that you are. And you're really sort of immersing yourself there 
in all of those different ways. And I think those are really important things for people to consider whatever, you know, and there's all sorts of variations on that. Maybe you're not a basketball player, but maybe you're a, you know, you play something else or you like to do a different kind of dancing or you like to do this or that. And you can sort of find that locally and insert yourself into it. But I think that's really important that you have sort of this entire list of things that each place you go, this is how you insert yourself, immerse yourself and develop that social connection. And let me take a step back too and understand, this took me a long time to realize and to come to grips with is that not everyone has a year to travel, right? How do I travel deeper when I have a weekend? How do I travel deeper when I have a week vacation and I want to go to an all-inclusive resort? And I want to pull that all the way back. I mean, yes, these techniques you just mentioned that that I talk about often, they're all really good to immersing myself in a foreign place in a very quick and efficient manner that's that's thoughtful. But the truth is, is let's say someone has a week and they go to Cancun, Mexico. How are they going to immerse themselves then? And to me, I always say, it doesn't matter how much time you have. It's about your openness to having conversations, simple conversations with people and to state your intentions in order to want to make connections. So my whole thing was, I want to make these connections. I want to hear these stories. I want to know more about the places that I'm in through these people. So you can go to Cancun and your taxi driver from the airport to your hotel is a resource. Your waiter at breakfast is a resource. The cabana guy that sets up your umbrella is a resource. These are things that just simply asking a question. And I know maybe, okay, maybe it's a language barrier, right? To provide true value to people listening, there's a lot of different language barriers. But if someone's working at the hotel, most likely they will speak some type of English. If that, if Spanish doesn't, whatever the language is, wherever you are in the world, right? Having these conversations to say, if I was going to go off the property, the resort property for one day, I'm going to ask the concierge if there is one. Let's put it on this very opposite of my travel style just to give people that some value if they don't. You ask the concierge, if there's one place I should go to that's a local spot, where should I go today? And you'll find a hole in the wall spot. You know, I, I, all, of, all of my friends back home are all inclusive people. I'm really the only person that will go and travel outside of this. And, and that's okay. Again, like I said at the beginning, everyone has their own styles and reasons for travel. Mine, thankfully, because of this, what I do for a living now that I'm able to do this. And so even I'll, I'll talk to buddies who you know will go to St. Lucia and they spent one day off the resort and they went to a local seafood place and it was the best thing of their whole trip. That's all it has to be. You don't have to go dive and volunteer in the middle of the Guatemalan forest in order to have a travel deeper experience. Just have openness to going a step beyond your comfort zone. That's it. That's awesome, man. I love that. So let me ask you this now, Gareth, how do you, at this point in your journey, how do you determine your travel destinations where you, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, let's just talk like sure. non-COVID times. How do you determine where you're going to go and how long you're going to stay? So it's twofold usually. First is based on invitations. A lot of them is, is invitations that seem very lucrative, one financially and lucrative and it sparks my interest. For example, Russia was an invitation. 
Russia was invited by a a tour company and they said we have this crazy idea to go around to go across the whole country on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. That's up my alley. That's wow. <laughs> and you have a Russian guide because, you know, certain countries it's easier to go with someone, harder to travel by yourself. So, I don't want to discount tour groups or tour organizations or having a guide because sometimes that's your gateway into the local people. If you're by yourself in Moscow, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> 100%. I mean, I just want to echo that. I actually did the Trans-Siberian in 2019. Nice. Um, it was unbelievable. I mean, I so enjoyed reading and, and watching all of your videos on it and your time in Kazan and like all of these mm. epic places, which I also went to and felt the same way that you did. So, um, yeah, but it was amazing. But I also similarly went with, it was an organized group. It was actually called the Nomad Train. Okay. And it was organized by these Russian organizers and they went with our group. So there's nomads from all over the world, right from Europe and, you know, all over different places. We came together and it was organized by Russians who went with us the whole time on the train they speak zero English on that zero train. zero like not one word <laughs> and then in each of the stops that we got whether it was Kazan or Novosibirsk or like Irkutsk or wherever it was yeah. they had local people that were born and raised and lived their entire life there yeah and they were the people that were hanging out with us the whole time so they'd take us on you know they'd walk us around but then they'd go out to all the meals with us and they'd hang out with us and they'd really bring us into their world and tell their story. And Kazan was, I mean, particularly amazing. I mean, the history of Islam in, in the middle of Russia and the Islamic Republic of Tatarstan. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're really getting their unfiltered local narrative. And it was just amazing. So that is a good example, I think, that you just gave of something that it's actually nice to have some Russian-speaking folks do all the logistical organization and go with you yeah. on a trip like that. Absolutely. And I have to be careful when I I talk about the tour organizations and taking a group trip because really there is so many reasons why it's it's better and and more local when you can do that. So to go back to that point is so number one, it would be just invitations based on someone invites me in, and that's a great way to do it too. Like I said, you know, like the Russia trip, it provided an incredible local experience that I would have never gotten. The second way is just based on interest. Things that I really want to go see myself, Japan, Philippines, for example, these are places that I've just had great interest in. And so it's a balance. I try to, if I'm going to do one that's invitation, I'll try to do another that's my own free will, I should say. And now it's much shorter. Now I don't have the year to go and live in a place. I'm trying to be more efficient and showing people that travel deeper doesn't have to be a year. So I'll, I'll try to go anywhere from two weeks to a month in a place and do things more efficiently. Now, thankfully to social media, those first three months of trying to find friends and connect with locals is all boiled down to a DM now, to a direct message, to a comment. It's incredible. Like I will say I, I'm going to Tijuana next week and I'll have three people in my inbox saying, come here, let's do this, let's go here. And social media, for everybody, Not this isn't me saying I, you know, I have these all these connections. It's for anyone. You can make the connections with local people if you put yourself out there and say... There, I mean, I always tell people this, Facebook groups, you know, travelers in Mexico City, uh, you know, expats in Mexico City, there's all these awesome groups out there now. Social media has really done so much of the groundwork for that 
making local connections for me. It's been incredible. I also want to ask you, Gareth, about the long-term sustainability of this lifestyle, because you've been doing this now for 12 years. And you do talk about some of the challenges that you've had. One of the things you wrote in your blog, you said, there have been moments of incredible loneliness and doubt and setbacks and frustration. And I want to just ask you about how you have handled and overcome those moments such that they don't debilitate you to the point that you're like, okay, like I'm done traveling now. <laughs> like I'm going to move mm-hmm. back and get an office job and do, you know, all, all that stuff. Like you've been able to overcome all of those obstacles somehow and continue this life in a fulfilling sustainable, substantive, healthy way for 12 years. And I just want to ask for your tips on that and things that people need to pay attention to. If they're talking about doing this long term, Mm -hmm. what are those sustainability pillars? First and foremost, the, the biggest thing I would recommend and tell people is you can always go home. Granted, everybody's living situation, family situation is different. But after a year in Argentina, after six months in Colombia, I'd go home. And I would make sure the number one thing I always told people back home is I'm going to travel long term, but I will do my best to be at every wedding, to be at every family event. I try to get home every Christmas. I don't go away and stay away. I understand that this is important, but more important to me will always be I don't want to be that friend who's like, Remember Gareth? Yeah, he missed that wedding. Oh, you should have been at this. You should have been. I'll always be there. So that was to me was a priority. So actually, each trip was focused around, you know, it was when I was 25 to 30. So that was wedding season, you know, every summer for those five years. So I would be home and I'd get to see friends for a few months. I would recharge. I would, you know, see everybody. And it was honestly, it became to the point where it was harder going home than it was going out and traveling because. You know, you'd go home, I'd stay with my mother for a couple of weeks, I would jump around to friends' couches, I would, everybody would ask what I was doing. And so being back on the road was like back into that freedom. So one, you can always go home, you can always take a break and stop at any point. I don't think people realize that if you don't like it, fly somewhere else. (laughs) You know, if someone hates a place, you don't have to stick with it. For me, those goals that I had set up is I knew that I was going to, you know, have those experiences in those locations because it was Latin America. I, I was starting to understand the cultures and the people and learning the language. So I knew it was a long-term thing. And they weren't always great. Guatemala I had a tiny little place. I had this one guy that was there who was always trying to take money from me. So not every time, every place is great. And the truth is, is you can always go home, but on top of that, understanding the fact that you're putting yourself out there and this loneliness is at your own your own free will you know the 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 fact that you can go and you can put yourself out there and test yourself and you know you can go through these trials and tribulations these ups and downs and if you can manage that which comes with time that's what this argentina trip was that first experience and understanding how dark it can get knowing that it, that's right before something great was always about to happen is even a couple of weeks ago, Africa had just gotten canceled. Things were, everything was going wrong. And two weeks later, a couple of videos take off 
invitations come flooding into the inbox and you're back. And that's all because you'll never get too high and never get too low. And that comes from travel, traveling independently. If you can't directly impact it, don't worry about it. If you can, try to do as best you can to make something happen. So that's what you've learned, but it definitely takes time. I mean, there's a lot of sleepless nights and and lonely times, but you learn from it. That's awesome. Gareth, I want to ask you one more question and then we'll move Mm. into the lightning round and wrap this up. One of the things that you talk about a lot, especially when you're talking to you know, new travelers or people that want to get into this lifestyle is the importance of having your why. Why do you want to travel the world? And I want to ask you at this point in your life, 12 years into this journey, what is your why for why you continue to travel at this point? What does travel mean to you? First, defining that why will help you push yourself out of that comfort zone. Like we were saying, like, how do you go and connect with local people? How do you do this? It all comes from why. If you think it would be amazing to be in that carnival parade, that's your why. I I would love to be in that parade. Next, you go how, right? Next, you say, okay, who do I need to connect with? How, what are the dots I need to connect to actually get to that point? My why was I wanted to work at the World Cup. How? I had no effing idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's the biggest thing to remember with that. And so for me now to to ask my why, that's something I had to revisit recently. You know, I was, before COVID hit, I felt like I was going through the motions. After Russia, I came back to San Diego and I was in one place and I was very comfortable in one place. And I had to rekindle this desire and from a very weird standpoint, COVID helped me do that. And even having these conversations helps me realize when I get so excited about this style of travel and so excited about these stories that I don't, I don't get to talk about often, my why is starts with my curiosity. And it has to be this true, authentic sense of curiosity. I am curious to know how people live in India and Africa and Middle East in these places and these conversations that I have, I thrive off of. My times when I've been most alive in my life and even just recently has been through foreign connections with local people or through adventure. I mean, I just got back from Joshua Tree where I spent three nights in a row going out into the desert by myself and just laying on the ground under the stars and just filming and photographing the Milky Way. And I would lay out there from one in the morning till six in the morning till someone showed up. And I I don't remember the last time I've been that happy. <laughs> it was freezing cold, the wind, all this stuff. My, my camera broke at one point and I couldn't have been happier. So my why is that curiosity, but now it's bigger. Now it's impacting others and, and teaching others. I have this Travel Deeper Boot Camp course that I want to show others that it's attainable for them to go out and travel long-term as well. If you're stuck in a New York City apartment paying $4,000 a month, why not go and spend $300 a month and do something incredible with your life for a year, for six months? Have a life experience. And to me, that's motivating others, inspiring others, educating others to do that, while at the same time, scratching my own itch, my own curiosity that I, I live for. 
That is amazing. And that's a great place to close it out. And at this point, Gareth, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yeah, we got to get some cool sound effects in there for that. I am absolutely ready. Fire. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? Celestine Prophecy by James, I believe it's James Redfield. It's a book all about how you can give and receive energy from people. It's a fictional book based in Peru. I actually read it when I was doing the Machu Picchu hike. And fictional book, but it's all about how you can give and receive energy. You can understand people's energies. This is a huge aspect of connecting with foreign people. Connecting with anyone is how to manipulate and not in a negative way, but manipulate your own energy to steer things in the right direction and also getting energy from the earth, getting energy from nature and everything like that. Number one book I always recommend. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people? Book your ticket and then figure everything else out from there. (laughs) I was thinking about the travel hacks and I just went through my mind. I don't have a Swiss army knife or pocket things, anything like that. The biggest mental hack you can do is book your ticket first and then figure everything out else after that. That's amazing. I love that advice. All right. Who is one person currently alive today that you've never met that you would most love to have dinner with just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation? Richard Branson. That would be, that would be because I feel like, dinner. you know, there's some people you'd want to have dinner with, but I don't think I'd be able to talk to them. You know, Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos or those kind of people. And I'm like, we just sit there and they'd be like, they just look at me and they'd be like, you're an idiot. But Richard Branson would be one of those guys where I feel like we could connect on adventure and yeah. other things. Yeah. You could just trade epic travel stories yeah, all night yeah. with Richard I mean, Branson. Crush me. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's <laughs> a great pick. All right. What is one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self, knowing everything you know now, if you could go back Mm. in time, what would you say to 18-year-old Gareth? Well, from a a business standpoint, never sell your Apple stocks, only buy more. (laughs) In college, I was really big into trading and I sold a bunch of stocks to go to spring break and I was trading Apple options and all that stuff. That's number one. <laughs> um, but more, you know, and another thing on the business side is, is, is film more, but then I always go against that when I start, you know, we talked about that a lot. I go against if you would have filmed more and things like that. But really the biggest thing is, is discipline. I would say follow your goals and your dreams and I would try to read. I'd try to read more things about discipline and, you know, the fact of going after things on a regular basis. You know, it comes and goes just like anybody. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty ambitious, but I've been set back by the fact that uh, getting distracted by other things and other directions. So the discipline to push forward, that would be number one. Awesome. All right. Of all of the places that you have been at this point, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you'd most recommend people check out? For me, it's Japan blew me away. Japan was a place that I didn't think I'd like. I thought it'd kind of have, it'd be like China where it's overcrowded and people, I wouldn't understand it. It's the culture is incredible. Bhutan 
is a place where I was absolutely fascinated by. It's like a parallel universe. The Buddhist monks up in the hills. You're you're living in a history movie, and then Brazil. Brazil is a place that has more stimulation than you could ever imagine in every different form in every different way. It is difficult. You got to be on your toes. You got to be aware. You got to be sharp. And it's incredible. Amazing. All right. Last question, Gareth. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been, the highest on your list you would most love to go. Number one is, and this is generally speaking, more Middle East. I haven't spent nearly enough time and more in the Middle East. Number two would be India. I've never been to India. And they say there's two types of travelers, those who've been to India and those who haven't. (laughs) And number three, probably the most embarrassing as a world traveler is I haven't stepped foot on the continent of Africa. And we were just, we just talked about that earlier, but I was all set. We were going to do a big month long trip in Kenya and Nairobi just shut themselves down again. So that's going to be on hold. But I wanted to be a zookeeper when I was a kid. I'm in love with all animals and all aspects of wildlife. So Africa's the number three. That's amazing, man. Well, let me know when you want to set up those trips. I've spent probably about two years on the continent of Africa. I've done Kenya for about a month and uh, done the safari and Masai Mara and all of that stuff, man. So yeah, brother, whenever you're uh, ready to start uh, planning some stuff, feel free to hit me up for some tips. I highly support uh, and endorse that recommendation. So all right, Gareth, at this point, I want you to let folks know how they can connect with you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can watch your amazing videos about all of these places we've discussed and how they can get access to your course uh, if they're interested in the Travel Deeper Bootcamp. And if you can put any kind of discount for the Maverick listeners, that would be amazing. Absolutely. So first of all, Travel Deeper, if you simply Google search Travel Deeper, I'm on there, tourstotowny.com is the blog, but the most popular, the most active I am on is YouTube, which is Travel Deeper with Gareth Leonard. If you just search Travel Deeper in YouTube or youtube.com slash Gareth Leonard, you will find me. I'm on Instagram at Travel Deeper. And for the listeners, I will give a 20% discount for any Maverick listener. Just use code Maverick at checkout at TravelDeeperBootCamp.com. And you guys are welcome to join. It's all about how to travel long-term. We dive deeper into things that we talked about today, but it's really just a a resource for people to go and live their dreams and go travel like I did with substance and authenticity and adventure because I knew I wanted to break away from that nine-to-five job and, and, and do something that I truly believed in. So I created this course to help people do the same. Awesome. We are going to link all of that up in the show notes. So folks can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Just go to the show notes for this episode. There we're going to have the link to Gareth's course with your discount code. So you can get that special discount. We're also going to have the links to his YouTube channel, to his blog, to his social media handles. So you can find him 
and connect with him and his content. Gareth, I told you this at the beginning and I'm genuine about it, man. I think it is some of the most important content in the travel space in terms of what you're doing, man. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, brother. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is fun. I'm going to finish my wine. <laughs> that means it's time to end the show. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.